Hi folks, and welcome to Elevate Your Game, a podcast where we take a deep dive into how to successfully bag game for the table and make it delicious. We'll explore hunting techniques, tools and equipment to increase your field success, and the utensils and culinary techniques that make wild protein delectable. My name is Tim Fowler, and I'm a Canadian journalist, chef, hunter, fisherman, and wild game cook. We'll talk with relevant experts, review gear that will help you achieve your goals, and provide game preparation details that will deliver memorable meals. Direct message me your questions on Instagram at Timothy D. Fowler, and while you're at it, give me a follow. Or you can email me your culinary questions at tim at birchcanoe.ca. Whatever your favorite wild protein, together we will elevate your game. Hi, folks, and welcome to Elevate Your Game. Today, we're talking with Seth Sferzak of Hornady. He's the marketing and communications manager, but he has an interesting history with these guys. He was the ballistic engineering ballistician. He knows something about bullets, trajectory, and uh, internal and external ballistics. It's going to be a fun day. Um, Seth, would you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about uh, your history with Hornady and with uh, with projectiles and and how that's uh, led you to where you are now and what you do with Hornady. And thanks for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. Welcome. Yeah, Tim. Seth. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, like you said, my name is Seth Swerzik. Um, I'm a Nebraska native uh, here down in the States. And Grand Island, Nebraska is where Hornady Manufacturing is located. And I grew up hunting and shooting and coincidentally, hunting and shooting with Hornady products, it wasn't necessarily something that my father did because Hornady was closed. It's just, well, that's what was available. And so I learned to reload at a really young age, maybe 12 or 13, and uh, really had an affinity to shooting things that were far away. That really drew me to <laughs> to shooting. Uh, and that was, that was always a lot of fun. And so uh, I uh, did some time in uniform and, and got a, a bachelor's degree and I was looking for a job. And Hornady Manufacturing was hiring for a uh, technical services rep. And so what that means is you get a really well-rounded approach to everything that Hornady offers because you're on the phone, people call, and if they have an issue with a product, you're the customer service guy. And if they want to know what product to use on this upcoming hunt, or if they want to know about why this does that or whatever, um, maybe what twist rate you should go for on your next build, they would call and talk to us. And so I did that from 2013 to 2017, and that was really crucial in my development as an employee here because I learned so much about every aspect, I, reloading, uh, competition shooting, F-class, bench rest, PRS shooting, uh, IDPA, USPSA shooting, three-gun, all the different disciplines, cowboy action. I mean, you have to know so much because... You never know who's going to call. You know, you'll get 40, 50 calls a day and uh, you have to be able to talk intelligently about that stuff. So it was a really great opportunity. And then right around 2017, our senior ballistic scientist, Dave Emery, uh, he retired from Hornady and that left a really big void. Now, luckily for Hornady, uh, Jaden Quinlan was Dave Emery's understudy. So our senior ballistician now is Jaden Quinlan, uh, but they needed some help. And Finding ballisticians is kind of difficult because a lot of it's 
you know, tribal knowledge, you have to learn that in the job. So, um, luckily I had, had kind of ear tagged myself, uh, as, as being a good candidate for a job like that. And the engineering department took a chance and hired me with no formal ballistician training. And I, I got to do, uh, uh, some ballistic engineering with Jaden. So that was a lot of new cartridge design, uh, new bullet design. We used the Doppler radar. Um, a lot of propellant and primer work went into running our factory loads and uh, working with the powder manufacturers and uh, really was a, a great opportunity to continue to learn, but deeper, you know, internal ballistics is kind of one of those voodoos, you know, not, that's not a, there's not a lot of book knowledge on internal ballistics. So that was just a fantastic opportunity, and I enjoyed thoroughly every minute of being a ballistician. Uh, and then a, a position opened in the marketing department. And as the communications manager, my role is to work with uh, some of the TV uh, personalities, some of the YouTube channels, but mainly the editorial staff both freelance and endemic uh, editorial writers and stuff like that. Um, and so my history with the company and my product knowledge really lended itself well to this position because the these editorial folks and, and such, they'll have questions about this, that, and the other thing. And I don't have to go, in a lot of cases, I don't have to go find an answer because I, you know, I worked in that department or whatever. So it's really been a great, uh, a great journey here. Uh, it's a great company to work for. We're still family owned. We're pretty darn small in the grand scheme of things from a company size standpoint. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's going to work every day. I find myself many times just like, I can't believe I'm doing this for work. Uh, it's, it's been a blast and, and working on some of the projects that I have, it's just been, it's been, uh, life altering to say the least. So that's my story. And, uh, I don't claim to be an expert on a whole lot, but I, I can certainly, uh, dabble in quite a few different things in the world of hunting and shooting. Sweet. Sweet. I should tell listeners how we got connected. Uh, sure. I got, a, I got an assignment with Canadian firearms journal to write about some rounds with a muzzle velocity of 4,000 plus lots of, uh, Canadian firearms, uh, journal readers or varmin hunters or target hunters. And they want some fast rounds. So I proposed that, and then I got tangled up with uh, the boys from Corth Industries in Okotoks, Alberta. And uh, Adam there, their marketing guy, uh, we went and shot some rounds and, and tested some some Hornady product. They import Hornady product for Canadians. And he said, you know, Tim, well, I said, who should I talk to? He said, you know, you got to talk to Seth. If you're, if you're hand-loading 4,000-plus FPS for these, you know, various rounds and using Hornady products, you got to talk to Seth. So you uh, graciously agreed to join us. So that's the focus of of this chat is, well, we'll talk about what anything you want to talk about, but when we're, when we're up over that 4,000 K or sorry, 4,000 feet per second at the muzzle, there's a few rounds that fit into that. I chose uh 17 fireball. One of my favorite rounds, 204 Ruger, 22250 and the 243 can be pushed to that and then you came back with some other rounds what other rounds should should folks if folks are saying you know what i want to get get a platform that that drives a projectile that fast what other cartridges should should listeners be looking at there's a few different options and some of them more mainstream than others and i think uh you know when when you're looking at hitting a 
a milestone like 4,000 feet per second. I think back to the 250, 3,000 Savage when, you know, the milestone was 3,000 feet per second. And uh, uh, I'm a big quarter bore fan. I grew up shooting 257 Roberts and, and the, the 25 Cal I'm a big fan of. So uh, in that lineage, you know, now the next step, the 50s and 60s were this huge boom of trying to push the envelope. But back in, I think it was in the early 30s or mid-30s, the 220 Swift was kind of the first one to, to really blow through uh, into that uh, 4,000 feet per second category. And that's still a, a popular round today. You know, that's been around since, like I said, in the mid-1930s. And it, in you know, whatever factory load they offered, I think it was like 4,200 feet per second or something advertised at the muzzle. So 220 Swift's kind of the original uh, and and still mainstream. You can still get rifles chambered in it today. We still load factory ammo. Several other manufacturers do as well. Another one that's kind of uh, was mainstream uh, where you could get factory rifles and, and a factory gun was the 17 Remington. Um, you know, similar to the ballistics of a 17 Fireball, um, but the 17 Remington was was a popular one. And then there's a, a slew of the Weatherby cartridges. Um, you know, off, obviously the Weatherby cartridges, they're known for blistering speed, uh, but the 224 Weatherby, um, 257 Weatherby with the, with the stout hand load and the lighter bullets. And I would be willing to bet, I don't know this, but I would bet the 3378 with a lighter bullet, no one loads anything lighter than maybe 165 grains. And I think a 165 is still doing like 3,600. Um, so if you got down in there and do a 125 grain bullet or something, I bet you could, you could clear four grand pretty, pretty <laughs> handily, I would think. But, uh, the 220 Swift of, of everything you've mentioned, uh, or everything I've mentioned really stands out as, as, as a, just a fantastic cartridge. There's still a bunch of people shooting it. And, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one. Then there's certainly, I'm sure there's some more on the smaller end of the scale. The six millimeter Remington, uh, would be, would be up there, but it would have to be a a good hard hand load. Uh, and then the 22, six millimeter, which has, it's a wild cat, but it's gone under many names. Uh, but the six millimeter Remington neck down to 22, uh, would absolutely scream past 4,000. The same thing with the 22, 243, which is a relatively popular wild cat as well. And again, there's, there's plenty more, but those are just kind of top of mind here. Fun. Fun. What um what challenges does a hand loader need to overcome when they're driving projectiles four thousand plus? Well, there's a few, and I think I think one of them would be well. There's again, there's several. I think the the first and foremost that I should probably mention would be safety as a hand loader, because when you're when you're going after a specific number, uh, there's no way to read pressure now you can look at your case head and feel your bolt lift and stuff but on a let's say you've got a custom action the tolerances on a custom bolt action is just i mean they're super tight so you don't get those traditional signs of pressure where your primer flows and you got the ejector stamp on the case head not always visible um so one of the big hurdles is you have to find the the right powder and bullet weight to safely approach that speed uh, which is which can be tricky especially if you don't know a whole lot about powder chemistry which is, you know, again, kind of one of those topics that not a lot of people know a whole lot about. Um, so that might be one of them. The another thing, and I think an important topic to talk about in pushing bullets that fast is 
as you increase muzzle velocity, you're going to increase the RPM that the bullet's spinning, right? And uh, you can calculate that with the velocity in feet per second that your bullet's traveling. And you multiply that by 720 and then divide that total number by your twist rate. So if you got a 10 twist, you divide by 10 or 12 or whatever. And uh, with these smaller caliber bullets, those jackets are relatively thin. And if you twist these bullets real fast, you'll blow them up. Yep. And uh, that's 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 a big hurdle because you can get real close. You can be on that ragged edge where it shoots really well. And then you go shoot prairie dogs and you shoot 15 shots. And with the heat of your barrel, now you're blowing up bullets. Yeah. Um, so that's something yeah. to, to be considered as well. Yeah. On a hot, on a hot August afternoon. Oh yeah. Right? You're lying there in the sunshine. The next thing you know, you just get dust. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You get lead splatter and, and the, the jackets are just so thin. And with the heat traveling down the barrel, what can happen yeah. is that lead will melt inside the bullet and then we'll be spinning free of the jacket and uh, it'll Amazing. blow a hole in the jacket. Amazing. So now that is the ragged edge of performance. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What other advice have you got for uh for guys who want to go that fast? I would say if I was if I was set out to do that, because I'm I'm not sure what you guys shoot for varmints in Canada, where I'm located in uh one of my the states around us, we have prairie dogs and they're a blast to shoot. They're not much bigger than you know a, a bottle of water in a lot yeah. of cases. Um no. Is a is a prairie dog a Richardson ground squirrel? I don't know. I can Google it. Let's do that because so in in Canada we've got in, well in the west where I live in the prairies, which is which is yep. sort of parallel to Nebraska, right? It's not yeah. parallel, but it's sure it's, looks like it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's far it's rolling farmland. We have yep. Richardson's ground squirrels. They're about the size of a can of Coke, a little bit bigger okay. maybe, um, and. And, uh, you could shoot 500 in a day and not be like, that's not a crazy number. You could, you could yeah. go and shoot 500. Um, I'm going to say they're just in this quick, they're, they're definitely related. They may not be the exact same animal, but they're, so I think they're a little bit identical. bigger. I think they're a little bit bigger in Eastern Canada. We have dogs like prairie dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I forget what they're called. They have a, they have a proper technical name, sorry. And then there's a collection of guys who hunt, uh, coyotes. And so we consider coyotes varmints. I mean, it's fur, but, but, uh, now, uh, once winter starts, you know, the fur is prime and, uh, yeah. and there's a collection of guys who shoot fast bullets because they're nice and flat shooting. At, yeah. at coyotes. So I'd say the Canadian varmint hunters either end up shooting these tiny little targets, sort of hundreds of them in the summertime, or they're spot and stalking or calling coyotes and then use those rounds to kill coyotes, which maybe is an attraction for that, uh, the 243 or, or one of those heavier bullets. Sure. Yep. So, uh, according to, uh, the University of Lethbridge, uh, yep. Richardson's ground squirrel looks like a black-tailed prairie dog, but the yep. black-tailed prairie dogs are larger and have a shorter tail. Uh, their geographical range uh, overlaps each other. Sweet. So they're, yeah, okay. so they're not okay. quite identical. But So if, if I personally was set out to do that, I love, like you said, shooting 500 
dogs a day, you, you, your finger gets tired before you run out of ammo. So, uh, that's, I'm a huge fan. And if I was, if I was going to build a gun specifically for it, I think the 20 caliber, uh, for me, the 204 Ruger makes a lot of sense. We introduced that cartridge. Uh, we have brass for it. We can buy factory ammo for it. I can reload for it. For me, the reason I would go 20 caliber is the, it's, it's a good blend, I think, because when you're in 17 caliber, they're really small bullets and they're really light. Consequently, they're really easy to achieve the velocity without dangerous pressure. And then with 22 and, and six millimeter, the bullets are heavier and you have to have more powder capacity to get the same speed. And, uh, for me, the 20 caliber is just really balanced. You can get that, that hot, nasty speed and you got a little bit heavier bullet. So you can kind of bridge the gap between prairie dogs and coyotes where, you know, a 4,000 feet per second, 15 grain bullet out of a 17 fireball or something, probably not the best coyote bullet where 50 grain, 22 to 50. Well, that's awesome. Well, a 32 grain, 20 caliber splits the difference really well. Um, and you can use temperature stable powders like Varget, for example, uh, if it's available, uh, to hand load, uh, when, when you're chasing speed, ball powder tends to work really well because it has nitrocellulose and nitroglycerin. It's called a double base powder. So there's a lot of energy potential in those ball powders, but they're not as temperature stable. And when you're laying out on the prairie, laying down for, you know, a couple hours shooting stuff, uh, that temperature stable powder really helps that ammo consistency. Nice. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you the 22 250 is honestly, it's too much gun for me sure. uh, to shoot dogs. Like if you shoot, well, I don't know. I, I one day I shot 75 rounds of the 22, 250 and I'm like, I'm done. Um, so I, I prefer those lighter ones. Um, I don't mm -hmm. have a 204 Ruger. We shot one for the test and it was perfect. Very yeah. little, very little recoil, blistering speed, accurate. Just, just like what you said, right in the middle of all of it. It's an, it's a really nice balanced round. I didn't think I needed another rifle, but maybe I do. Yeah. Our 32 grain VMAX factory load advertised speed is 42.25. Yep. And we shot that. that we, sh we shot that factory load last week. It was fantastic. Yep. That's uh, yeah, that's, it's so fast. It's so flat. And, and this summer I had the privilege of going on three separate I'm going to call them trips where it was four days where travel a day, shoot prairie dogs for two whole days and then come home on the fourth day. And I shot, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to know. I shot two cases. So it'd be 400 rounds of 22, 250, uh, between, uh, those trips. And I love the 22, 250 when mainly we're shooting in Wyoming and it's so windy and it's obviously windy where you are as well. And, uh, that, that heavier bullet, really helps buck the wind a little bit. Uh, but man, if I had to pick one, that 204 Ruger or any 20 caliber variant, I mean, out to my farthest shot, I don't remember how far it would have been with the uh, 204, but in excess of 400 yards for sure. And out to 300, you don't even have to think about it. You just yeah, yeah. dope hold, the wind, hold, hold it on top yeah. of his head. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. And, and I will say, I don't know. I don't know what listeners do for for practice, but from my point of view, preparation for big game season, there is nothing that teaches you firearm handling, 
uh, trajectory, trigger, squeeze, the whole thing. By the time you put it several hundred rounds downrange at target the size of the palm of your hand and hit it at 350 oh, yeah. yards, man, you're ready to go hunt an elk. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and you don't, I mean, I shoot a 300 Remington Ultramag, and I, I, I don't even feel the recoil when it's, when it's, uh, when it's elk time. Uh, right. But all of that experience in the prairie comes to bear in that moment where the scope crosses the shoulder. Anyways, cool. So you mentioned 20 variants. I educate us about variants of the 20. To the, is there one that comes to mind? No, nah, there's nothing that's that's super popular in the 20 cal realm now uh, that the, the, you know, that the 204 Ruger is so commercially available. Yeah. Why mess around? Uh, Just go to yeah. okay. 20 practical and 20 tactical were probably the two most common, which is uh, a, a slight variation of the 223 Remington case neck down to 20 caliber. Um, and then there's some other ones uh, that neck down, like anything, any 22 caliber that you can imagine, 22, 250, uh, 220 uh, fireball, uh, gosh, there's yeah, anything that was ever a 22 caliber that has ne- been necked down to 20 and they're all viable. Uh, but the 20 practical and 20 tactical were the most common, uh, up until the 204 Ruger. So how does the 204 Ruger case compare to the 223 case? It's just a little bit bigger. The 204 Ruger started life as a 222 Magnum, uh, yeah, triple deuce mag, which was never wildly popular it was a commercial standardized offering uh years ago uh but that's that's the parent cartridge was the triple deuce mag so just a little longer okay i have a well i had a triple deuce mag that a competitive shooter i purchased it from them and i rebarreled it in 223 um just because it was so tough to get the rounds in the brass i'm like yeah. So I don't know if that was a good choice or not, but it's a two, two it ends up being a two, two, three. Anyways. Sure. Um powders. Yeah. Uh, that's is is Hornady in the powder? Well, yeah, you're in the powder business. You love a revolution. What else? Well, we're in the powder business in that we use powder. We don't manufacture anything. Okay. But you brand, you have some branded powders. We do well that and that's a there it's a Hodgden product, and that's kind of a whole assemblage of so there's a powder manufacturer. Uh, in the U.S., and you know we work with them closely, and and they are constantly evolving things. And uh, this is going years back with our senior ballistician Dave Emery uh, helped find some powders that worked really well to achieve really impressive velocities without increasing chamber pressure. And uh, the most popular of those uh, was released from Hodgden as a uh, reloading component now, which is be Lever Evolution and Superformance. And, and what's going on there is, uh, those are ball powders. So ball powder is double based, like I mentioned earlier. So it, it not only has nitrocellulose, which is the main, uh, energy source, but it also has nitroglycerin. And because it has two energy sources, it has a lot of energy potential. And when you light something on fire, it burns, right? And as it burns, the rate in which it continues to burn gets faster. It increases, right? So if you start something on fire, it continues to burn faster. Uh, and that's uh, crudely, I'm skipping a bunch of parts here, but that we'll call that progressivity. How progressive a powder is, is how fast 
it changes burn rate, how fast it increases burn rate as it continues to burn. That makes sense. So these uh, powders like Lever Evolution and Superformance are very progressive. So the way that works in a cartridge case is they start burning and peak chamber pressure is obtained. And let's say peak chamber pressure is 60,000 pounds. Well, because it's changing that burn speed so rapidly, it maintains 60,000 pounds of pressure for a longer duration of time. So you don't get any more pressure. The peak pressure was 60,000 pounds, but the bullet was worked on by that 60,000 pounds for a longer duration of time. And that's how you achieve those high velocities uh, with lever evolution and superformance. That makes sense. So generally speaking, ball powders, because they're double based and they're more progressive than a single base stick powder, they will achieve higher velocities. So in my head, let me let me verify if I'm thinking about this right. In my head, there's a there's a three dimensional space that fits inside the cartridge and is capped by the back end of the bullet. You light the primer that starts the fire, and at some point, the pressure builds to where the bullet starts to move. That now opens up the amount of space that pressure is in, and if it was consistent pressure technically it would drop. But as the bullet starts to move, I think what you're saying is that pressure stays up. So it the that peak pressure um, continues to act on the bullet at peak for a longer period of time. So, it, so mm -hmm. it, what that means is it accelerates the bullet faster. Right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Uh, that peak pressure is going to be uh, uh, achieved when the bullet hits the rifling. Uh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. That's so where the, the resistance pressure, is. Yeah. The pressure is going to, uh, uh, theoretically drop before the bullet gets to the rifling after it exits case mouth. Once it hits the rifling, that engraving force pressure shoots up. And then like, you, yeah, just like you mentioned that maximum pressure never goes higher than what it was, but it just maintains it for longer duration. And then it continues back down to a normal pressure curve. And so that's why using ball powders, if you're specific goal is hot speed ball powders typically work much better just for speed as a, uh, a caveat to that ball powders are because they have nitroglycerin which is a little more volatile than nitrocellulose uh, they don't have as as good as temperature stability so generally a powder will get uh, will increase the chamber pressure on a hot when it's hot out and it will lower the chamber pressure when it's cold out Fair and enough. that will change the velocity. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a trade off there. Yeah. And the other day when we were shooting, we're at, I don't know, minus 10 or 12 Celsius. So what's that? 10 or something on the Fahrenheit scale. So yeah, it was cool. It's cold. It was below cold. freezing. Cold. Sure. Yeah. Well, well below freezing. Yeah. So that would impact the, the muzzle velocity a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually, my orientation, if I'm putting several hundred rounds down, range i'm actually not looking to get the full velocity potential out of the rifle i'm like i'm i'm good to be at i don't know if if the range is from i don't i don't even know from 3000 to 3700 i'm good at 33 35 something like that yeah it doesn't um, need to be it's like, too hard it's fast enough I, my barrel's going to last longer whatever sure. um but i like to be able to go full on i like to have that just in my 
collection of tools. It's like, I want to be able to drive more than 4,000. I don't have to do it all yeah. the time, but I want to be able to do it. So I'll agree okay. with you. And I'll say this, uh, not to sound morbid, but there's something pretty magical and you can see the difference when you hit a prairie dog at 4,000 feet per second or 3,300, you can see the difference, you know? And, and, uh, I mean, uh, that's part of it. And it's, it's entertaining. <laughs> well, you can see the difference up to a point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. They don't run very far. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there, I, I'm sorry, but there's nothing like it. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. So what base do you shoot on? What do you use for a base? Like when you're, when you're, when you went for a, like a physical base, like a tripod or a bipod. Oh, or, sure. Uh, well, what do you, depends. what do you like? Talk to me about the actual, the, well, the hunt you went on. What did so you, those, uh, so we, we, we did a whole bunch of stuff. So one of the, the first ones, this is, uh, not related to 4,000 feet per second, but it was a, a neat experience. So we are coming up on the 20th anniversary of the 17 HMR. Yes, and that has been that round. Just wildly love, popular. Just love yeah. that round. Yeah. So I, uh, for work, I got, uh, some editorial folks and I got some pipe hitters, some really big names in the editorial world, uh, to come to Wyoming to the best prairie dogging I've ever seen. <laughs> Literally. We, we pulled up to this big hill, 360 degrees. You could shoot from 30 yards to 3000 yards in all directions and wow. they were everywhere. It was incredible. Wow. So, uh, we were with the 17 HMR primarily, and this was a neat way to shoot prairie dogs so we took shooting sticks just just collapsible throw them over your shoulder shooting sticks and we like spot and stalked prairie dogs for a while you know you'd you'd you know shoot a couple off the off the sticks take a knee and then you know the rest would go down so you'd kind of sneak past them a little bit and then oh there's some more over there and we were shooting out to about 250 yards uh, just off a little little bipod just a collapsible leg bipod and that was i mean that was some of the most fun i've had um Primarily, though, I'm shooting uh, either prone with a bipod or uh, a lot of my rifles. Uh, I shoot some precision rifle type uh, stuff, and I'm a big Arca Swiss fan. So it's like a you know a plate system that clamps into a tripod, and so I have Arca rails on a lot of my personal rifles, so I can clamp those into a tripod. And for those listening, if you haven't shot from a really expensive, really rigid tripod with an Arca system on it, it's like shooting from the prone. I mean, you can shoot prairie dogs standing up at 400 yards in these things. It's just remarkable. Uh, so uh, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and on a lot of the places we've shot, uh, they'll, they'll put shooting benches on a trailer and they'll pull a trailer out with shooting benches and you can sit on the benches and stuff. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. I've shot them, uh, shot one with a pistol 17 HMR at 106 yards was the, highlight wow. of the one of the trips wow. uh we shoot them any way we can especially uh depending on where you're at you know it's it, they're relatively expensive to poison and you yep. lose a lot of pasture ground to them and for a rancher that's a big deal so you're kind of doing them a favor we shoot them any way we can yeah yeah um yeah and when a expensive horse or a prize bull drops a leg in a gopher hole and has to be put down because of that. 
Uh, yeah. that leads the landowners to be pretty free with, uh, with the access to, to shoot those environments. So, yeah, the same thing with coyotes as well, especially, uh, where we're located in central Nebraska, everywhere West of us, um, you know, big game hunting is obviously really popular. So they, you know, you might not have a landowner that will let you hunt, but if you see a coyote, please go ahead and shoot. It's like a universal law, uh, yeah, they lose a couple cows and it's shows over for a coyote. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I have I have a couple of HMRs. I actually have a Remington Custom Shop HMR in my safe, and it's my. I have two. I have two, and they're they're among my favorite rifles to shoot, um, because you can shoot it all day. And it's pretty cost effective and you don't have to hand load it. I love hand loading, but if you want to shoot yeah. 500 rounds in an afternoon, I mean, buy yourself a case of HMR and let's roll. Oh yeah. And, and you don't sacrifice on accuracy with the HMR. Those no, things will shoot. No, I've shot seven shot magazines out of those cheap, uh, inexpensive Marlins, uh, yeah. seven shot magazines under an inch at a hundred yards. Are you kidding absolutely. me? For, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a $160 gun at the local grocery store. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. They absolutely. cost nothing. Fantastic. So Hornady hit that one out of the park. Like yeah, that was, did. that was awesome. Good. Okay. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap? Well, we can, well, gosh, there's, I mean, it depends on how long you want me to talk. Cause there's a lot of rabbit holes. I'll tell you, you one thing that I would uh, like to touch on. You mentioned it earlier that in preparation for big game hunting, shooting varmints is yeah. there's no better practice. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll tell you between varmints, and then competitive shooting in the precision rifle world, my skill level as a big game hunter has gone, it, it's really improved to say the least. And not that I was making, you know, unethical shots before, uh, but you get out there, you get familiar with your rifle yep. and, and you get familiar with shooting it and manipulating it, manipulating your gear and getting a steady position and stuff. And, you know, you go hunting for elk you go once a year twice yep. a year maybe yep. you go shoot prairie dogs you get every time you pull the trigger you could pretend you know you could train as if it was a big game hunt by building a position getting a range managing your gear and then making a shot uh i really like that connection and you know you can you can extend that um to the steps before that so you need to find a location so Let's, let's do a parallel discussion between prairie dogs and elk. You need to find the animals, right? So you got to scout, you got to find, mm -hmm. you got to find the animals. You got to get access, which means permission. So you got to build a relationship with a landowner and, and sell yourself and act properly and all of that. Um, I take my binos and backpack. I use my binoculars, mm -hmm. um, constantly, when searching for prairie dogs, lots of times the grass later on in the year in August is maybe a foot high and the prairie dogs can hide. And mm -hmm. so you're glassing. That is a tremendous skill for big game hunting and you're spotting and stalking and moving and, and then comes time to shoot. You, you know, your, your firearm, you got to load it. You got to load it fast at some point. You got to reload it at some point safety off, how to acquire the target. All of those things translate one-to-one -one for big game hunting. Yeah, um, recoil management. All, all of it. And, and then when you mentioned uh, my, my, um, 
223 muzzle velocity is the same as my Ultramag. Okay. And the bullets are different, right? It's not it's not one-to-one. Yeah. But I killed an antelope a few years ago at 495 yards. Shot him right through the shoulder. And yeah. And the reason I did that was I had been shooting the 223 at 3300 feet per second all summer in the wind and understood the drift out to 350 and beyond. And Yep. I when we went in the field that day, my brother Pete, he says, "So, what's your limit?" I'm like 350. He's like, "Why?" I said, "350 is it's a good limit." He said, "Tim, do you know your your drop and drift at 500?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So why wouldn't you shoot at 500 then? I'm like, fair enough. 495, bang, done. Yep. Um, and the only reason I was able to execute that shot was I had spent several days in Saskatchewan shooting uh, dogs. Yeah, so, I love that. That that to me, that's yeah, that's that's why you practice. That's why you uh, yeah, that's why you train and and as a competitive guy, uh, when I shoot those competitions, uh, obviously I'm trying to do well, but it's benefited me on the hunting side more than it ever has on the competition side. Sure. I ain't winning matches out there, but sure. I am filling permits. I'm punching tags yeah. and at ranges that, uh, you know, I don't try to shoot anything far away if I don't have to, but, uh, it really has leveled the playing field where, you know, you might not yeah. get one yard closer. And if you can't take yeah. that shot, then that's, it's the difference not. between tag soup and not. Yep. Yep. Exactly. We've all had tag soups. Not some. Not not my favorite. <laughs> right. And to go one step further with your with your training, uh, this is a a relatively popular concept in 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 the precision rifle competition world. A lot of guys will have uh, matching rifles, yep. same stock, same scope, same yep. everything. One just chambered in something real small, yep. twenty two yep. long rifle. Yep. Uh, two twenty three. And from a hunting standpoint, uh, I have. There, I don't have anything that's identical to every capacity, but I have the same stock on a hunting rifle and a, uh, uh, a smaller varmint rifle. And I also have several, uh, guns where I can change the barrel and the bolt face and Sweet. swap out. So I can change Sweet. from Sweet. a six, five PRC for, for, for Sweet. hunting and then chamber that thing down to two twenty three. So yep. yeah, I, I like the ability to do that. So uh, my piece, it's, it goes in today. For Alberta outdoorsmen, it's called gun pairs. It's what we're talking about, and it's how really, yeah. And I got, uh, I'm a Remington guy, so uh, so okay. I've got several several seven hundreds. My mm -hmm. seventeen Fireball, two two three, twenty two two fifty, two seventy short mag, three hundred ultra mag, all seven hundred, same platform. Um, Beautiful. Those guns are very much alike. My what I learn on my seventeen Fireball and my two two three translate a hundred percent to those big game rifles. And That's so awesome. I can, I can practice and train. I can hand load cheaper. I can buy even the, even the model. I think it's a model 504 in the, in the 22 HMR. It's not exactly a 700, but it's pretty darn close. <clears throat> Excuse me. So That's all right. it's, um, so I, I like the pair and, and the pairs the pairs apply to handguns too. Ruger oh, sure. uh, Ruger has a really nice single action, as does a, a small company called Heritage Firearms. Um, no matter what you're shooting, if you're shooting a Kimber, if you're shooting a Kimber five uh, forty five auto, you can get the the conversion kit for twenty two. So you can have, you know, if you're shooting a forty five Colt 
single action, you know, you can shoot a 22 mag or 17 HMR yeah. or whatever. Um, yep. and, and they're the same. So, and then I like to, I like to have the same kind of a scope that the, you know, if it's a side, yeah. side parallax or, um, front on the objective. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever the, however you're adjusting your image, um, on the smaller rifle, I want that on my larger big game rifle too. So it translates hundred percent. Cool. Yep. Interesting that you brought that up and it happens to be what's going on. Yeah. Today. I would say that, uh, it's not luck then that there's, there's more people doing this and there's more value to it than, than some people may appreciate. Cause it, like I, like you'd mentioned, it really is when, when you learn that muscle memory, your muscles remember, and you, one of the more, uh, not cliche, I suppose is not super cliche, but the saying, you never rise to the occasion. You only fall back to your highest level of training. Uh, wow. when, when, when you get in wow. a situation where there's a, you know, you've got to make a decision. You got to, you know, get in a position to make this shot on, on an elk or a mule deer or whatever it is, yep. you fall back to what your muscles remember how to do. And yep. like you mentioned where everything's in that same place, it just fills me with confidence uh, when yeah. that happens. When 100%. I do something before I have a conscious thought about doing it, hundred like, percent, that feels good. I feel good. You can load and empty your gun without looking at it because you're so familiar oh, yeah. with how everything works. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. All right. What do you want to close with? You didn't bring it up and I appreciate it, but uh, I, I need to, to, to say Hornady is making bullets and ammo at a rate you cannot fathom. So uh, for those listeners, I understand that things are incredibly hard to find right now. Uh, and they have been for a while. I'll tell you what, you know, we make more than we did ever. We have never made more than we are right now. And that gets better every day. And the big one, we put a ton of money in investing in this. We ship more product than we ever have. We've done a awesome. lot to, to increase our production capacity, awesome. but then also increase our shipping capacity. And so uh, awesome. in closing for anybody that's listening, you know, I've, I've been cornered by this where it's like, Oh, you recommend using this, that, and that other thing. Well, I can't find it. Yep. So I just want people to know that it's not that we've been impacted horribly by the, the COVID deal and that we're, you know, we're shutting down or selling stuff to the government. Reality is we make, grossly more for the commercial market than we ever yep. have before and uh, we're going to keep doing it so i appreciate the patience with everyone because we are slinging products out like you would not believe well that's good i, pre I appreciate you bringing that i i um i think i rolled over in the middle of the night and thought about that question and then i forgot about <laughs> it. um yeah but i and, and and i had questions about well what about the what about the components that hornady buys like the, the brass and the yeah. copper and the lead. And what about those things? Is there a supply yeah. chain difficulty with that? So it's good for you to say, listen, guys, we're putting out more product than we ever have. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. We're, I don't know the percentages, but we are well above where we were last good. year. Good. Yep. Well, we're continuing and, to look for the products on the shelf. <laughs> right. And I'm, I feel quite proud of myself because I, I've got a pretty good stock of stuff that I've built up over the years. So, you know, I go to buy whatever and it's like, well, you know, I've got a few hundred rounds yet that I can work through. So it's good. Good for you. <laughs> uh, Seth, thank you for uh, helping 
me and our listeners elevate our game. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely.